Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to another Buckeye Talk, Doug Lamarie's from Cleveland.com. Here with you for another week, and it's going to be a little different, and then I'll tell you what the plans are ahead. So um, you can read me at Cleveland.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Lamarie's, D O U G L E S M E R I S E S. Actually, let's go to the uh, old uh, iTunes. They're doing away with iTunes, right? They're going to do Apple thing. Is that right? They're doing away with iTunes? My daughter's here. Um, uh, that's, what mom said. that's what mom said. Um, so I don't know what that's going to mean. I'm going to try to do away with all the bad reviews and maybe keep the good ones. Let's see what the most recent reviews say. Hey, a couple good five stars. I think Chip Munn, our guy, was threatening people. Uh, love the show, Doug. I find your takes well thought out and entertaining. I'm a huge Buckeyes fan living in Los Angeles. And use your pod as well as your exclusive texting service as my primary information source for all things Ohio State. Authentic Scott. So thanks for that. So thanks for anyone who wants to drop those reviews uh, on iTunes. We appreciate your support here at Buckeye Talk. And if you subscribe to the tech stuff, uh, I've been a Texan. So you can do that. Uh, again, the top of my Twitter account at Doug Maurice. You can find it at cleveland.com. $3.99 a month gets you a text or two a day about Ohio State football. And here's what we're going to do. Next week, I'm taking off. So I won't be here. It will be the first time in a very, very, very long time that there hasn't been a Buckeye talk. And so I maybe try to research that while I'm gone. Um, but we're also going to unfortunately do – oh, let me give you the good news. Ooh, good news. The week after that, we'll have Phil Steele. I got in early on the Phil Steele interview request hotline. Um, I'm going to be coming back from where I'm going to be uh, on that Wednesday morning, and I'm going to hopefully get Phil that Wednesday morning. So when I come back on the uh, 26th, that Wednesday, it'll be out a, maybe a little bit later in the day, but that's because we'll be coming back hot and fresh with Phil Steele. And I know people have requested that because Phil is so good. So... Next week we'll be off, and this one's going to be a little truncated because I'm kind of off right now. I am in a city far away from Ohio, and um, my daughter and I are on a college tour. Uh, so she is just beginning to look at colleges, and her dad took her. But I wanted to give you a podcast because I said I would. I tried to get a national guy. He was available, then I wasn't. I apologize for that. And so here's what we're going to do instead. I have nine 
beliefs about Ohio State football that I'm going to give you in this podcast. No questions. We'll get caught up on questions when I get back, so think up some good, some good ones. I'm going to give you nine beliefs about Ohio State football. I'm going to slip in nine other things about life that I'm going to mention because I feel like we haven't done enough life stuff lately. And then I had put out a Twitter uh, thing uh, earlier in the week with the news of the plans for Urban Meyer's Pint House, right, that he's doing a restaurant in uh, Dublin or something. I said, I'm accepting name suggestions for restaurants for other past coaches of the Buckeyes, Browns, Cavs, and Indians. So I'm going to give you the nine best submissions for that. I didn't do anything with it. I didn't write it. It's a lot of familiar folks, your podcast friends here submitting stuff. So we will drill below in from here to there. Um, so we're not going to go two hours because um, it's late at night. We just watched The Bachelorette. Luke's, man. Gosh, these Luke's. What is up? Um, and we need to go to bed. But I said I'd give you a podcast. So I'm going to give you a podcast. So I'm going to start with my first truth about Ohio State football, uh, which is on my mind, which would be a maybe a bigger topic in another week when I wasn't sitting in a Marriott outside a city, um, not in Ohio. But it's about Greg Stadrawa. And I've been texting about this. And Ohio State got another commitment this week um, from another offensive lineman. And uh, Grant Tutant, right? Is that right? It sounds like a it sounds like a Star Wars name, kind of to me. Grant Tutant, that's or maybe it's the planet Tutant that like Luke goes to and he finds the droids. I think that even might be the name. I'm pretty sure that C-3PO is from Tutant. If I'm wrong, um, get back to me on that. But he committed to Ohio State. He's a four-star commit, and this is five offensive linemen uh, in the class of 2020. For Ohio State. And one of them is Paris Johnson, who is ridiculously highly rated. He is the number eight overall player in the nation and the number one offensive lineman, the number one offensive tackle. Luke Whipler from New Jersey, a center, is another top 100 guy. There are other three offensive linemen right now. Grant Tutant's number 324. Jacob James is number 755. Trey LaRue is not rated. And so... I have advocated on this podcast in the past for Ohio State to get some lower-rated in-state guys, get some loyal Buckeyes. James and LaRue are from Ohio. Uh, Grant Tutant is from Michigan, so he's a Midwest guy, and he had committed to Penn State. So they, they got a guy from Michigan who had committed to Penn State. They flipped him from Penn State. So both of those in some way are a win, right? Um, but I do think this is slightly, in my mind, a little too far and a little too much of a reaction to the late scramble for linemen that we saw in the class for 2019 after Urban Meyer resigned and Ryan Day took over. And they ended up getting um, the kid from Hawaii really late. And he was a highly rated guy, top 150 national guy. I know people on this pod, some people heard me talk about this before and called him a reach and, and disagreed with that. When you rate him, he's not. When you think about how he's going to contribute to Ohio State, if he comes in here, I assume he's going to redshirt as a freshman and then potentially go on a mission for two years. They went and were getting linemen because they were desperate for linemen, and it's very possible they filled that hole with a guy who's not going to play football for Ohio State for for three years. So that is not ideal. You know, maybe it'll be a long-term thing that'll work out great for Ohio State. And then Dewan Jones in, in 2019 again. I mean, you can look at him and people take pictures of him on the basketball court and he looks like a big, long, interesting athlete, but he's not a highly rated football player. He's not normally the guy kind of guy Ohio State gets from Indianapolis. So they reached on guys late and I'll, I'll use the reach because Ryan Day flying to Hawaii for 45 minutes to secure a recruit in February is not a plan. 
No matter how good the player is, it's not a plan. It's a reach. It's a last. Now, maybe the, maybe the player isn't a reach, but the move is a reach. The move is a desperation move because they changed coaches and Greg Studrawa hadn't locked down an offensive line class. So I think they're overcompensating the other way right now. So if you're telling me, as Ohio State has five offensive linemen commits already for 2020, if you're saying, wow, great job, Greg Studrawa, I'm saying I think five offensive linemen in June, three of them – rated 324 or lower, is admitting that Greg Studrawa is not going to go out and win national battles. And it is, it is a compensation for not a great job in recruiting, that you're going to go early, you're going to lock it down, because if you believe in a guy, they wait sometimes on the national guys because they think they can win. They think they can win these battles, and then sometimes they slow play Ohio guys waiting for national guys. So I get it. I get getting a couple of these guys, and I never said anything when they got James and LaRue. Um, but now to get the number 324 offensive lineman, I just don't know. I, I don't know why they're doing it and why they have five offensive linemen right now. And the only reason to me that you would have it is because you're not sure that Greg Studrawa can go win battles for top 100 linemen, for top 150 linemen. And if you think that, then you are judging him and you are evaluating him and you have less belief in him than you have in Brian Hartline and then you have in um, Larry Johnson and then you have in Tony Alford and then you have in Mike Yersich and you have in these other coaches that you absolutely expect them to go out and win battles for top 150 kids. So I understand that Ryan Day is probably going to turn toward Ohio a little bit more, but it seems like they're turning at one position right now. They turned really hard at offensive line. And, and this, to me, when you have three of your offensive line recruits ranked 300 nationally or lower, you better lock down Paris Johnson. Because if you have a group where you have Harry Miller as a really highly recruited guy from last year. And if you add Luke Whipler and Paris Johnson to him, that is a very good start for an offensive line. That looks like what their 2019 line is going to look like when you have Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, and Nicholas petit Frere as three starters on that offensive line who are super highly rated guys, who are top 50 guys. Nicholas petit Frere is a top 10 guy. He's a Paris Johnson type. Then you add to that a Thayer Munford, who was a lower-rated guy, and I get that. Some of these Ohio guys hit. Thayer Munford is a lower-rated guy in the 250s or 280s, and he hit. Pat Elfline was ranked like a 1,000. Pat Elfline hit in a huge way. But I don't know about this. And so I, 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 I'm not going to – I'm not freaking out about it. I'm not writing a story about it. I sent some tweets about it. I'm talking to you about it. But what I'm not going to do is, like, praise Greg Stodrawa for getting the number 324 offensive line recruit in the country in June. Because frankly, it's great to flip a kid away from, you flip a kid from Michigan away from Penn State. That's great. Go beat Georgia. And then you did for Harry Miller. I get that. Or Harry Miller was from Georgia, wanted to go to Stanford. I get that. You won some battles. I get it. Win another one. And you better keep Paris Johnson. So I, 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 what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to freak out, but I'm also not going to sit here and sing the praises of that plan. Because at the moment, I'm going to tell you what that plan reads like a little bit to me. And I remember when this happened and nobody liked it. In 2011, the last year that Jim Bowman was in charge of offensive line recruiting for Ohio State, here were the offensive linemen that they brought in uh, in that class. And to be fair, there were not a Paris Johnson. There was not a Paris Johnson at the top of that class for the offensive line, and there was not a Luke Whipple at the top of that offensive line class. So that's a huge difference. But I'm talking about the guys at the bottom of it. They had Brian Bobeck, recruited as a center, number 200 in the country, never played here, transferred. Um, 
you guys probably know this off the top of your head. Chris Carter came as an offensive lineman, turned into a defensive tackle, was 479 in the country, never played offensive line here. Antonio Underwood, 510 in the country, played a little bit here, but not much. Tommy Brown, 623 in the country, offensive lineman, never played here. Tommy Brown, Ohio. Antonio Underwood, Ohio. Chris Carter, Ohio. Um, Brian Bobeck, Midwest from Illinois. They stopped going out and winning national battles for offensive linemen. And you saw what happened. They had some issues there. So when I see where they are with offensive line recruiting right now, that's where my head goes. Now, again, that's not fair because there was not a Paris Johnson. There was not a Luke Whipler there. I'm just telling you, when I see three guys ranked 300 or lower at one position, I wonder what the plan is there. So that's where I am with Greg Stadrawa. Um, I had questions about Greg Stadrawa, uh, when they kept him, um, People had questions about him as a recruiter, and um, he didn't magically figure out how to recruit. I think Ryan Day figured out how to make the best of this situation by doing this. But is this the best that Ohio State could do, recruiting on the offensive line? I question that. And at the moment, if, if Paris Johnson does not stay in this class – I question where this offensive line is going to be in three and four years. When you look at the mad scramble to fill out in 2019 behind Harry Miller, and you look at where they are in 2020. All right. My life thing I wanted to talk about is that my daughter was explaining to me. I'm a Jonas Brothers fan. We're all Jonas Brothers fans in our family, and the Jonas Brothers are back together. And we have plans to go to one of their concerts and enjoy the Jonas Brothers personally and musically. And my daughter was uh, saying that they put out a documentary as part of uh, the relaunch of the band. And she was explaining how in the documentary, Nick and Joe were mean to Kevin. And uh, Nick and Joe had played a gig at some point where they did not invite Kevin along. And Kevin uh, wanted to know why they did that. And Kevin had tears in his eyes as he was asking. And Joe explained that he felt like Kevin was holding them back. And I got a knot in my stomach about the Jonas Brothers. And I just wanted to give a shout out to those moments in life. Happens to me with TV characters sometimes. Like someone gets killed on Game of Thrones on Sunday night and you feel weird all day Monday. And you're like, what is this terrible thing that happened in my life? Is there something going on at work with my family, with my friends? What's happening that I have this sense of malaise? And then you're like, oh, yeah, it's the Red Wedding. That's how I felt about the Jonas Brothers. And I don't know if you all feel that, but if you do, I just want you to know that you're not alone when you let weird outside things give you a sense of malaise, perhaps for only 15 minutes, perhaps for several hours, perhaps for a week. That you wonder why Nick and Joe can't be nicer to their brother. So that happens sometimes in life, right? I'm with you. Number two thing about Ohio State, number two belief. I just don't think there's as much sizzle around this program right now. What I want to do, since we're taking a break next week, I'm basically trying to reset um, some things, some basic things that I think about Ohio State right now. So everybody knows where I stand. So as you think next week that you're not listening to me, if you think to yourself, I wonder where Doug stands on something, go back and listen to this. There's not as much sizzle right now. When you covered Ohio State under Urban Meyer, you were covering two things. You were covering one of the best football programs in the country and one of the most interesting coaches. And I am just not quite feeling that right now. And that's fine, but 
I wonder if you're feeling it, and I wonder how it's going to affect anything going into this year. I think it's going to affect how people view Ohio State nationally. Um, we'll see when they get a big win. You know, again, we talked about before with the schedule. They have five top 25 teams on the schedule. They'll have their chance to prove it. But, you know, Ryan Day is not going to be in any promos. Um and Urban Meyer, that's who Urban Meyer was from the get-go here. So that's fine. I'm just wondering, and I would take, you know, if you want to tweet at me about this, or maybe we can uh, talk about this in a future podcast this summer, although the summer's going to be, like, gone before you know it, because we're going to come back with Phil Steele on the 26th, and then I think we're going to do two more in July, and then it'll be, like, Big Ten Media Days, and we'll be doing it from Big Ten Media Days. So, like, that's how quickly the summer vanishes. But I just think that, I don't know that it's bad or good, I just think it's, Real, And I think you have to be, maybe if you're um, a person who follows national college football, Ohio State's not in the same place in the national landscape right now. And listen, Georgia changed coaches and got Kirby Smart, and Oklahoma changed coaches and got Lincoln Riley, and were, uh, were relevant and exciting and were in the commercials, in the promos very quickly. I get that. Um, Ryan Day can do it. But I don't think he's there now. And I just think that's a, a reality that I think is worth understanding. I think it's going to affect how Ohio State fits in the national picture. And I think, I think it's affected so far a little bit, like the general interest, just when people read our stories, react to the podcast. It's just not, there's not quite as much bite to it. Um, and that's just an interesting place for Ohio State fans to be. Number two, life thick. Oh, I forgot to do the things I said I was going to do about the, uh, about the other names. So I'll give you two, I'll give you one. I'm behind on this. Best names, uh, for coaches besides Urban Meyer's Pint House. Um, we're going to start off with Brandon Leck at Pan J Shear Five, who said Jim Tressel's perfectly adequate eating establishment to refuel the energy your body needs to perform tasks and pie, which I thought that's just like a good joke construction. You have a long thing and then you say and pie. If you say and pie at the end of anything, it's funny. Um, so Brandon Leck, shout out for that. I would eat, and I said I would eat at Jim Tressel's perfectly adequate eating establishment to refuel the energy your body needs to perform tasks and pie. I would absolutely, absolutely eat there. All right. Number two life thing. I'm mad at chilies. You guys know, um, how important chilies is in my life. It's my number one, um, Eating establishment for the sit-down chain restaurants, and I ate at one the other day, and like it wasn't good. It was the first time I ever sent food back at Chili's, and I think it might have been, it was both a bad and a good reminder. When something that you love lets you down, it's a bit of a slap in the face, but also it's remind, is a reminder, I think on some level, the homogenization of American society, where everything is everywhere, um, is a negative, that it less feels special. I remember when I was a kid, going to like a hard rock cafe because um, it was only in a couple different cities. It was like, man, you go to the hard rock cafe. There's like a hard rock ca- cafe in like Poughkeepsie now. They're everywhere. Um, so I thought it was a good reminder that like things aren't the same everywhere. And even though I went to a Chili's, it was a Chili's I had never been to before and it wasn't my Chili's. So it made me want to go back to my Chili's. And so I would like to thank the Chili's that I went to at a different place that let me down for reminding me that in America, not everything is the same, even when you want it to be. Uh, another name for a restaurant, I thought this was good, from Toby Boyce. Again, restaurants that you, you could name after a coach, um, like Urban Meyer's Pint House. This one's called Thai Mata. Like Thad Mata, but it's Thai food. Did I really have to explain that? 
Thai Mata. Like Thai food, doesn't always agree with me, but I would go there. Uh, number three on Ohio State. Okay, I said that about Ryan Day. There's not as much sizzle. Um, I wasn't there for this stuff last week. But for Ryan Day to uh, start a foundation with his wife, Nina, um, to raise awareness and, and benefit mental health for kids uh, is an outstanding thing to do. And I think um, Urban Meyer and Shelley Meyer did a lot of great work with um, everything they had done for cancer research with the James Hospital. And that was a cause very near and dear to their heart. And this is taking away nothing from that. But something like mental health for kids um, is something that doesn't get as, as much attention. And for Ryan Day um, to have this personally connected to him, uh, to make it known that his father committed suicide when Ryan Day was nine years old, um, and then not just attack mental health, but attack mental health for kids, right? That they're, let's, let's try to address this and give people help um, early in life. Um, that's a difficult thing to talk about. Um, I just sent Ryan Day a quick text, me text message about it that I thought it was a cool thing that he's doing because um, I wasn't there for the news conference. But um, that's a good family, and, and the Myers were a good family, and the Myers did a lot of good work um, in the community and uh, a lot of good work, you know, visiting hospitals and, and you know, doing a lot with their wallets um, to support very important causes to them, and uh, Ryan Day is doing the same thing. And um, I think that's worth noting. And everybody wrote about it. Um, but I wanted to note it because um, we're going to get into some more stuff with my Ohio State thoughts. Um, and I've talked a lot about Ryan Day this offseason. But I think you got a good guy. And that's that's kind of a thing that you say. You know, if you notice at Michigan, when Brady Hoke started losing, they started talking about, you know, the graduation rates. You don't talk about graduation rates when you win. When you lose, you say, well, everyone's graduating at least. We're three and nine, but everybody's graduating. Nobody gets hired to graduate guys. Nobody gets hired as a football coach for four and a half million dollars a year to be a good guy. It doesn't save, being a good guy doesn't save your job. Being a good, it would be great if it did. It doesn't. But it's worth acknowledging when someone does something like that. So I think, uh, that's something that I hope Ohio State fans get behind. Uh, I hope they take it to heart. Um, with their financial support when they can, but I think it's just something to talk about that, to talk about mental health awareness, uh, especially in children. If Ryan Day can and use his platform and Nina Day, um, if their family can use that platform to help in that area, I think that's a great thing. Um, third life thing I want to talk about is the fact that we just watched the new Pressure Luck. It's on now, like the Whammy Show, and Elizabeth Banks is the host. And I had not realized that Elizabeth Banks had reached the hosting the new version of Pressure Luck stage of her career. I thought Elizabeth Banks was like several steps above that. And the idea that someone who in my mind is a movie star, is she not a movie star anymore? She didn't even do like a sitcom. I guess maybe it's a summer game show. But it was a shocking thing to me. It would be like if Tom Hanks was hosting Pressure Luck. Although that would be, God, he'd be great at that, wouldn't he? Um, so shout out to Elizabeth Banks. Again, my daughter and I were in the hotel room watching it. It was very emotional. We were crying at the end. The contestant was crying. His husband was crying. We were crying. Everybody was happy. Uh, it was a very emotional pressure luck. And, and Elizabeth Banks, to her credit, um, did a great job. And perhaps the reason she did a great job is because she's a movie star. This is like coming to play pickup basketball with fourth graders when you're in the NBA. Of course she did a great job. She was just in the 40-year-old version like 20 years ago. All right. I just thought that was weird. Um, let's do, but I would recommend watching Pressure Luck. Let's do a, another name of a house, Brian Archer at Cowboy Arch. This was not a coach, but 
I appreciate the ingenuity. Orlando Pace's House of Pancakes. And like the fact that like Eddie George has a restaurant um, in Columbus and like Orlando Pace doesn't have a breakfast spot, like is kind of crazy. And if someone wants to like give Orlando Pace like a little bit of money for the name and open Orlando Pace's House of Pancakes, like I will be there tomorrow. Number four on Ohio State Thoughts. Uh, I did a lot of Indians and Browns last week. Um, and something's happening with the Indians that I think might apply to Ohio State. It makes me a little nervous. So the, the Indians have won three straight Central Division titles. They set their roster up in a, in a weird way this year. You could see it coming, and it did come. Um, but they're not terrible. They're, they're a little above 500. They didn't fall off the face of the earth. They're just 10 games out of first. But there are some really angry people about the Indians. And all of a sudden, 500 is just like so unacceptable for a team that had been to the playoffs three straight years and that people again thought was going to be good. Even though the the team was constructed poorly, you still thought they might be good because they had two all-stars in the lineup and maybe the best rotation, excuse me, best rotation in baseball. It makes me a little nervous for Ohio State. And... I'm not trying to do Ohio State any favors, and I'm not here to do Ryan Danny favors. Um, but Ohio State going nine and three is basically the equivalent of the Indians being 500. And when I have a couple people, not many, I actually muted the one guy who's tweeting at me about firing Terry Francona. Um, it just lets me know that I think if Ohio State does go nine and three, I'm going to get at least one tweet from somebody saying fire Ryan Day. And I, I would just. I don't think the Indians have fallen off a cliff. I think they had some bad luck. I think they mostly did it to themselves. Um, but to like completely abandon them and think that like it's over and be this angry that some people are is surprising to me. I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I just, I would be curious to see what a nine and three Ohio State season would be like, but I would be a little nervous for like Ryan, for the sake of Ryan Day, if people react the same way. So that's why it's part of why I'm trying to like, Maybe say nine and three just to like prepare you for the fact that it could happen and that maybe if it does happen, um, you shouldn't tweet at me that they should fire the coach. So that's what I think about that. I, I've been thinking about that a lot um, in terms of Ohio, of Ohio State. I just think it wouldn't be fair to Ryan Day or the program. You know, it's going to happen some year. You know, we talk about step back years with teams all the time. You know, the Ohio State year in, in 2004 when they won eight and four and you set something up. Most of the time, a place like Ohio State doesn't need a step back year. You don't have to regroup because you regroup on the run and you go 11 and one. Keep it in mind. Four, robot talk. Um, the main thing about robots is that I fear that we forget the people involved, and we've talked about robots a lot, and I just want you to know where I distill my robot thought into. Um, I know people have suggested that if we can automize uh, society more, that should lead to more leisure time, that should lead to more fulfilling work, where people aren't forced to do sort of like rote activities, because robots or mechanization can take over for that. We just can't leave people behind. Um, we can't. We can't head towards... Uh, a more robotic world because it saves everybody a nickel um, without thinking about what's next for the humans whose lives have changed as a result. So that's why I hate robots. Um, it's mostly because I, I, I potentially hate the people in charge of them for 
forgetting about the other humans out there. Um, so I'm always going to be pro-human. I just want you to know I, I don't really wake up at night worrying that a robot uh, is going to, like, climb in my window or these these videos everybody sends me, which I love, that a robot's going to, like, come down the hallway and, like, uh, extend its giant robot arm and, like, open the, the doorknob to my bedroom and, like, robot me to death. I don't even know how a robot would kill you. Would a robot choke you? Mm-hmm. How would a robot kill you? My daughter says choke. Stab? Would it? Would a robot hold a knife? See, that's the thing again. A robot wouldn't hold a knife to stab you because its arm would be a knife. It would just use its, its naturally pokey extremities. Isn't there like a spot in the neck where you press it? Press it? She's thinking like a, maybe like a jugular thing, like a Vulcan neck pinch. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm assuming the robot. I mean, it's a robot. It would figure out how to do it. But that's not really what I'm scared of. I'm scared of a society that would... Uh, leave behind uh, potentially our most vulnerable humans in the name of a, of a robot who's slightly more efficient at his job. Let's do another um, name. This one was a good one. Oh, man. Huh. I was going to say this for later. Man, I just saw this. I just realized this. Oh, okay. Um, so, uh, so Jim Siegel, who I don't know, um, was a political writer at the Dispatch, and uh, he died today. And he was 46. Um, and I don't know what happened, but the Dispatch uh, has just tremendous stories about what a great reporter this guy was. Um, and I'm just realizing that he responded to my tweet about what um, other restaurants we could have for coaches, and I was just about to read it. I didn't even realize it was him. Jim Tressel's Punt House. That's from Front Page. It's P-H-R-O-N-T-P-A-G-E. He sent that on June 8th. Um, and here we are a couple days later and he's not with us anymore. Man, I wanted to talk about Jim Siegel uh, later and that just happened there. So um, that's a great suggestion. Urban Meyer's Pint House, Jim Tressel's Punt House. Um, okay, we'll... Uh, We'll get into that later because we want to make sure we pay respects to uh, to guys who really do it right in this business. And we'll try to do that in our, in our own way here in a minute. <sighs> it's a weird week. Okay, number five. Um, I, I just want to make this clear, and, I, and, and, and it's part of moving forward as an Ohio State fan. And, and I do truly think in a lot of ways Ohio State football is entering a new era. Uh, Garrett Wilson is going to make an impact. As a true freshman receiver, I have like no doubt about that. And I also have no doubt about the fact that Julian Fleming is going to make an impact as a true freshman receiver in 2020. And if you're judging that, that you think that's not going to happen based on the past, like I don't care what the past stats are. That's the whole, I mean, like you can't, I, I almost think we've reached the point where looking into the record book about Ohio State passing is useless. I mean it's it's as a historic thing to say hey this happened back then fine but as any kind of predictive thing of well no freshman receiver has ever done this or well they've never you know thrown for 5000 yards and two cons- it doesn't matter. Ohio State has been behind the times in terms of passing offense in terms of passing stats when JT Barrett was second setting records um, and we were saying, you know, he's setting Ohio State's all-time passing yards record, and he's not even the top ten, or not even the top hundred in NCAA history. Um, Ohio State's leaving that time; they're entering a new era. And so, I'm just telling you, 
I put over 600 when we talked about this for Garrett Wilson. I just, it's like it's going to happen. So we'll get, we'll run through the main playmakers again before, as we get closer to the season, but I'm so confident about Garrett Wilson's role on this team. And again, you can not use the past as a reasoning for why it's not going to happen now. It's one of my beliefs about Ohio State football. Number five, life thing. Um, try this experiment. This is my, uh, triangle pizza, square cup pizza theory. Try this next time you have a family gathering and you have a pie. Let's say you have a, uh, an apple pie. Let's say you have a, uh, like a, like a chocolate pudding pie, maybe, right? Uh, like a nice crust on the back of it. Maybe you have, um, what other kind of, maybe like a pumpkin. Do, you, do people eat pumpkin pie in like June? I don't know if anyone's ever eaten a pumpkin pie in June. When you get that pie, cut it in squares. And let me know how that goes. Take your apple pie, fresh hot out of the oven, and cut it in squares. And tell me how much everybody loves the center square of the apple pie. Or perhaps, will you take that pie and cut it in triangles and use that crust as like a backboard? And you're going to scoop it. You know what you're going to scoop it out with? Like a pie server. And you know what shape a pie server is? It's not square. It's a triangle. So when you get a thing that's a circle, you cut it into triangles. It's just math. So if you stand behind square cut pizza, then to me, you better stand behind square cut apple pie. And let me know how that goes at the next family picnic. Um, my wife played high school basketball in Iowa. And when she played... She was in the very, very final years of six on six basketball, which you, which if you have not heard of this, six on six, six on six basketball is three people on offense and three people on defense for each team. And you may not cross half court. So each half of the court plays three on three. And then when the defensive team rebounds the ball, they dribble the ball up to half court and pass it to their own offensive players on the offensive side of the court, and then they go. Also, each person only gets two dribbles at a time. And then shortly after my wife was done playing that, Iowa did away with that. Uh, They had done girls' basketball that way for decades in Iowa, Um, and boys' basketball had played the other way. And the reason that they did that in Iowa is because they misunderstood the rules When James Naismith sent them over from Kansas, somebody read them wrong. So they played that way. They played six on six, three on three on each side. And then at some point they said, this is enough. We're going to do it how it's intended. And they do it that way now. And it was a quaint thing and my wife loved it and everybody had a very good time. But at some point, you can't do it that way anymore. So I'm sure perhaps there was a time when pizza first came to some of these places that someone said, well, I guess we're supposed to cut this in squares. We're not going to bake it with a crust and we're going to cut it in squares. And I understand that you may have gotten the directions wrong on the pizza, but allow yourself to change. It's okay to admit your mistake. You don't have to play six on six basketball in 2019 and you don't have to cut your pizza into squares. Number six, I'm going to go to an actual question for this. Did not put out the call for questions this week. We will get back to them when we return on the 26th. Ooh, I have Grant Tutant's uh, thing still up. I think Josh Curry, 
who might be the guy who's been sending me. You've been the one sending me the uh, the over unders here. Um, let's see, Josh. How do I get my notifications up? Wait, how do I get the? Josh sent me a thing about J.K. Dobbins, and so I want to talk about J.K. Dobbins because I want to make it clear that I think there's a world where um, Ohio State can throw the ball really, really effectively this year, but that doesn't mean that J.K. Dobbins can't go crazy. I saw a list the other day that somebody had that I think had J.K. Dobbins ninth um, among the potentially the best um, running backs in college football. I think he certainly could end up higher than that. Josh Curie, the real J. Curie 43. Question for the pod, over under for J.K. Dobbins. Total yards 2,500, total TDs 12. Also, if J.K. were to be a Heisman finalist, what would that have to look like? So 2,500 is is like super nuts. Like I don't think that's going to happen. Let me look at the uh, overall yards from scrimmage um, a year ago because like that is uh, – that is like a lot of yards, 2,500. Um, yeah, so like last year, Jonathan Taylor led the nation in yards from scrimmage with 2,254. So do I think J.K. Dobbins is going to have 300 more yards from scrimmage than the guy who led the nation last year? No, I do not. Um, do I think J.K. Dobbins could have 1,600 rushing yards? Yes, I think he could. Um, only five players top 1,600 rushing yards last year. But the reason I think that is because last year, um, let's see, J.K. Dobbins had 1,053, and Mike Weber had 954. So they had almost 2,000 yards together. So do I think there is room for a running back to have a huge year in the Ryan Day offense, offense that wants to throw the ball? Heck yes, I think that. Of course I think that. There's proof in that, and they did last year. It's just they split it between two guys. So no, not 2,500 total yards, but I, and, and listen, it, it, running backs aren't Heisman candidates anymore. So I, I, like, I just, I don't, I don't know the world that J.K. Dobbins is a, is a Heisman candidate for Ohio State. Justin Fields is the Heisman candidate. So that's, I mean, like, that's just the way it is. Could he be a great compliment? Yeah, absolutely. And even more than a compliment, but not Heisman numbers. So I just think I'm over six, I think I'm over 1600 yards on JK, which is like a huge amount of yards. And that's total for the season, potentially 14, 15 games. Um, but I can't go over 2500. Come on, Josh. That's too much, man. Woof. That's a lot. Um, did I forget? I think I might have forgotten, uh, the Garrett. Well, let's do another, uh, let's do another name. Um, Let's see. There was a lot of Hugh Jackson answers. Oh, wait. I'm going to do one more. Robert Hune Coulter at What's the Scoop? Another Thad Mata one. You say tomato. I say Thad Mata. So that's an Italian restaurant, says Robert. You say tomato. I say Thad Mata. Um, I think you'd have to have a song playing on a loop at the front door, like a speaker, so that people were getting the 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 oral cue, not just the verbal because when you read, when you see, I say tomato, no, you say tomato, I say thadmata. When you read that, there's not the impact. When you sing it, then you're there. So thanks to Robert for that. That was a good one. Um, oh, someone sent me a thing about life real quick. Someone sent me a thing about ri robots writing sports stories. Here's the thing. If you're writing the kind of sports story right now that a robot can duplicate, you're already dead. So every now and then, you know, if you're, if you're writing a 200 word thing about a, you know, a kid 
put Ohio State in his top five, which we all do sometimes, that's fine. Yeah, a robot could do that maybe. Um, but I hope not. I hope I, yeah, I got a little, got a little thing in there. Got a little zippity doo dah. Um, but I would suggest to anyone, any sports writer out there, that you better every time you put fingers to keyboard, you better think to yourself, could a robot write this? And if the answer is yes, you're in trouble. Seven. I think there's too much talk from the coaches and too much written about all these coaches saying about what a great, uh, how everyone's working together so well and there's no egos and all this stuff, whatever. I mean, it's like, I, I, like, it's not, I, I know it not to be true. And I'm not like ripping anybody, but it's like, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, I mean, like they're all high, highly, uh, uh competitive. Um, they have high standards for themselves. They all want to advance in their careers. So it, they're not all holding hands. This is not a 10-man staff in complete unison. But you don't have to be to win. You know, you can have individual goals and still put the team first. But, like, I just I – don't, I, don't, I don't want to read. I haven't written one. I don't want to read any more stories about how well the, the coaching staff, everybody's working together as one. And I'm not, I'm not implying anything here because I, I don't know anything. I, I don't, if, I told, if I knew something, I'd tell you. But I'm waiting for Greg Madison and Jeff Hathley to have some friction. Um, and maybe we, we won't see it. But I think when you have a guy uh, who's the head, the, the lead co-coordinator, who is a, a guy who's been around a long time, has been in the Big Ten. Ryan Day has made it clear that he wanted a coach with Big, with Big Ten experience. That's why he brought Greg Madison in from Michigan. And then Jeff Hathley uh, is two decades younger, and he's a riser. Jeff Halfley's headed somewhere, just like Ryan Day was. Jeff Halfley is the closest thing to Ryan Day on this staff. And Jeff Halfley is not here. I mean, I get he's here to learn. He doesn't know the Big Ten. But Jeff Halfley's not here to take a back seat. And so there have been times over the years. I know in 2013, I think there was friction between Luke Fickle and Everett Withers and trying to match up the front seven to what they were doing in the secondary or match up the front four to the back seven, right? You're calling your, your, um, your blitzes and how you're calling your pressures and trying to match that up with the coverages and sometimes it's not easy and I'm just waiting um, for them to be some some stuff um, and I'm not I'm not assuming, they don't know each other they come from very different backgrounds and again if Greg Madison is in charge I just you know I think Jeff Half is going to want to do his thing it's it's nature it's nature it's how people work so I don't know if it if it'll show itself but. Um, I'm thinking about 2013. I know people keep tweeting me about the Zach Smith podcast. Um, and we know there was stuff with Ed Warner and Tim Beck and that didn't work smoothly in 2015. So like, you know, guess what? You get a new staff. Hey, hey, guess what? Hey, hey, podcast listeners. Guess what? Hey, guess what? Hey, psst, guess what? Here's the thing. When you hear all these stories from the past, about how when you put new assistants together, sometimes there was friction and guys didn't work together perfectly all the time. And sometimes it had a negative effect on the team. Psst, guess what? That can happen in the future too. It did only happen in the past because guess what? In 2022, we're going to be on this podcast talking about, oh man, remember Jeff Halfley and Greg Madison in 2019? Maybe not, but maybe. So be on the lookout. My friends, that's all. Be on the lookout. Oh, man. Here's somebody. My school rules with a Z at the end. Fred Magenta. Trestles Tatgate Tavern. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know if that guy's an Ohio State fan. Trestles Tatgate Tavern. 
I don't know. You've got to have some good wings if you're going to do good business in Columbus with that name. Like if the wings are really good, you got to go. Um, but I question if that's going to work. Good luck to Robert Magenta. Um, quick thing, and I was going to, I was, well, we'll get to, I want to mention this first. Um, Jerry Fraley is a sports writer who I did not know, but I came across, um, during my travels as a young baseball writer, uh, for four years when I covered the Philadelphia Phillies from 1998 to 2001. And he was the guy who was like the beat writer for the Texas Rangers. And so when you were in Texas, Jerry Fraley was the, the host of the press box. He was the guy that uh, led the way for everyone to go out after the game. Every city has a guy like that. Um, and uh, he passed away a couple weeks ago at age 64 from cancer. And I thought I read someone that I tangentially know. Uh, a lot of people are saying great things about Jerry Fraley. Superb beat writer. Um, really helpful to young writers. Um, just steadfast in his beliefs of, of what it meant to do the job. And then I read a tweet from someone who worked for the opposing paper. Jerry Fraley was the Dallas Morning News. I read someone who worked for the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. And that person, I think, said he'd been on the beat covering the Rangers in one way or another for like 14 years. And Jerry Fraley in that time never said a word to him because he was the competition. Never a word. Ever. In over a decade. And I loved it. Ugh, I love that. Because guess what? You are there to be friends, but it is work first. It's not show friends. It's show go to the press box. So um, I thought that, uh, that that would be a great way to be remembered. That you reached out to help young people in the business. You held yourself to a high standard, but you were a jerk to the competition. Um, man, when I kick it, some people are going to say that I was a jerk, and I was. Um, but I don't take that. Um, I don't take that as an insult. Um, if there are people that I've been a jerk to um, with absolute intent and for a reason, and so. Um, it's not across the board. There are some people that I've, that I've been a jerk to in life um, that I probably should apologize for. But there are other people that if I was a jerk to you, I meant it. And if you thought I was a jerk, um, you should think that. And so I thought that was a tremendous tribute um, that there there's all these outpourings of uh, of what a great guy this, that Jerry Fraley was. But also there was a guy that he didn't talk to. Tremendous. Number eight, my Ohio State thought, Justin Fields is just not going to be perfect early. And there's been, we've talked a lot about this. I just want to emphasize it. It is all part of this thing that I am potentially trying to prepare you for. And I am ready for what it's going to look like if they go 12-0 and and what everybody reminds me of. That's fine. But I don't think it's going to be perfect. I think Florida Atlantic and Cincinnati and Indiana and Nebraska and these early games are just going to be opportunities for you to freak out about the quarterback play. So prepare yourself. It doesn't mean he's not going to get there. And I'm repeating myself. But again, this is to hold you over while I'm gone. Be ready for it. Because I think it's possible. And it doesn't mean it's not going to get better. It doesn't mean Justin Fields isn't going to be good by November. And it certainly doesn't mean Justin Fields is not going to be good by 2020. He might be really good by 2020. Might be really good. Um, and so, I, again, with a lot of this stuff, I feel like 
I get some pushback from people who are saying, you know, why are you saying this stuff? And then I get some pushback from people saying, like, he's never going to make it. He's not the right guy. And again, I'm just, I think it's in between. I think it's not going to be perfect at the start, but I think he very well um, could be a guy who could lead uh, Ohio State to some um, lofty heights um, in 2020. Let's see. A lot of Hugh Jacks. <laughs> well, I'll get to Hugh Jackson. Someone actually sent me, someone, uh, Peter Zeffo said Pettin's poutine, um, like Mike Pettin, the former Browns coach. I don't know if he likes poutine, but we have talked about poutine a lot on this podcast. And I was driving the other day between Columbus and Cleveland, and there was a poutine food truck on the highway. And I took a photo of it for Landis and Bielik, and I forgot to send it to him. Um, but it's just not something you see every day, a poutine food truck driving down the highway. So um, if you're looking for poutine in Ohio, I can let you know that there's a food truck out there. Be alert. Jim Siegel, um, I just want to make note of this. Again, uh, the dispatch political reporter who passed away at age 46 uh, on the day we're recording this on Tuesday. Um, and just the outpouring of emotion from people about how well this guy get, did his job and that um, I think journalists – and again, what we do here, I mean this is fun. This is supposed to be fun. I, I, sometimes you can lose sight of that. Um, and there are times when it's important when there's serious stuff going on. We've hit that with Ohio State more than once. Um, and I think holding um, highly paid people who run a thing that is very important to sports fans, I think trying to hold them to a high standard is important in its own way because you desire, you guys deserve the best product possible. But what guys like Jim Siegel do is on another level. And so when you read um, all these politicians, both sides, Democrat, Republican, people involved at the state house who weren't elected officials, just respecting a guy for being fair, shooting it straight, being hardworking – uh, having relationships, knowing what's up, um, what's better than that? And I, I worry sometimes. I worry about it for myself, and I worry about it for people in all walks of life. But I think you see it in journalism sometimes. You know, sometimes you work so hard that I wonder sometimes if people um, take shortcuts with their health or take shortcuts um, in uh, in some ways. And uh, and I have no idea what happened with Jim Siegel. I just know that uh, he was a guy that uh, is gone and was ultimately respected by the people he covered. And it's not that you're, it's not that you're loved, um, cause they shouldn't love you, but it's that they, I mean, like with anything, it's that they appreciate, um, that you tried to get it right. Um, and so this is a lot of, uh, some sort of some downer stuff, but, you know, tragic things happen, but, but when you are remembered like that, um, it means you did something right while you were here. And so I think for everybody at the dispatch, um, certainly Jim Siegel's family, um, and the fact that that guy, <laughs> I saw he followed me. I was checking his Twitter. I, I, I just, I, I don't keep up with Ohio politics like that. Um, but that he had time to send out a Jim Trestle's punt house. Um, I respect a guy who worked hard, um, at this job. And, uh, I think that's worth remembering. All right. Last thing about Ohio State. Um, it's tangentially related to Ohio State. It's about last week's podcast. This is my podcast. Um, there have been people in and out. Uh, I've been here from the start. And so if something on here is wrong, it's my fault. And we had a stat wrong last week with the great Mark Roberts, um, who did a tremendous job. As the guest last week running through Urban Wire's record in close games, um, 
we had said he was 22 and three. He was actually 22 and six. There were a couple other close games in there. Um, the Michigan State, I think we, I think we, I can't remember which, we, which three we said. Uh, it was the Penn State blocked field goal game. Uh, the 2015 uh, Michigan State game was in there. Um, but we had missed a couple. The, the, the Virginia Tech loss in its own way, it was like one possession game in the fourth quarter. That was one. Um, the 2013 Michigan State Championship game. Anyway, the actual record instead of 22-3 and three is 22-6. and six. Um, Thanks to everyone who pointed that out. Um, that's on me. That's, that's on me because um, I get paid for this. Mark Roberts doesn't. So I apologize that that stat was wrong. I don't think it changes what we were talking about um, because if you remember back in those moments, and I think our friend Shanerbaum was pointing out, um, sent me a tweet, and I hadn't had time to research it because there's a lot going on, people. Um, that Jim Trestle was really good in close games like that too. But I, if, if you remember the way Urban Meyer coached this team, um, you remember those games. You remember in 2016 the way they made the playoff. The, yes, they lost that um, Penn State game, but to win in overtime um, at Wisconsin that year, you remember what they did at Penn State in 2014 on the way to the national title. You remember what they did in 2012 when Kenny Guyton led the comeback. Urban was great at that. That was our point. We had stats to back it up. The, the 22 and 6 to me still backs it up, um, almost as much as 22 and 3 did. So 22 and 6, again, the kind of high quality games that you were playing. Um, you can't expect, you know, Trestle blew more people out because the schedule wasn't as good and the Big Ten wasn't as good. Um, so I just think the point we made was that in those games, Ohio State won a heck of a lot more than they lost and against some really good teams. And I think that aspect of that's going to be just something that Ryan Day is going to, it's going to be a challenge for him to duplicate, duplicate that, um, because they were so good at it. So again, Mark Roberts, thank you for everything you did last week. Much appreciated. And thanks to everyone, uh, who did research on their own and brought it to our attention. It's actually 22 and six. Let me get one more, um, so many Hugh Jackson ones that, uh, let's see. We'll try to find a really good. Paul's Brown Derby. That's a good Paul, Paul Brown one. That's from Workowski. I got like 78 Twitter replies on this. Hugh Jackson's Futility House. That's from a professor. <laughs> I love this. I love it when like, when someone's answer is Hugh Jackson is terrible at his job. And this is the Twitter profile. Christian, husband, dad of three teen boys, professor, staff minister, author, blogger, speaker, editor, amazed by grace, also thinks Hugh Jackson is terrible at his job. I thought that was funny. Um, and he followed up by saying Hugh is also the bouncer and tells customers to get the F out of his office. Um, there were a lot of really good Hugh Jackson ones. There were some Hugh Jackson ones where people said, like, the menu is like Hugh Jackson doesn't give you a menu. He just tells you he knows what's best for you uh, and that uh, and that you will eat what he says. Um, gosh, there's a lot of good Hugh Jackson ones. Anyway, thanks to everybody who sent these in. Um, I thought they were funny. They made me laugh. This is supposed to be sun. Uh, it's supposed to be fun. Sometimes it's not. Um Tim Soul 0526 responded, there will be signs on every wall reminding you who the manager is in the Hugh Jackson restaurant. Kurt Cartwright, Hughes Donuts, conveniently located at 016 Jackson Way. Just hop on the bus. You know Hughes driving. Ugh. I like to think something. Well, I don't like to think. Sometimes I get worried I'm the only person being uh, mean to Hugh Jackson. It's nice to get a reminder that other people are being just as mean as I was. Kevin Alton said Hugh Jackson's Hughes Jackson's restaurant has no menu. Just trust me on this one. And then uh, also Robert Hugh Coulter, who had the Thad Mata thing, said Ryan Days in. 
Get it? So like if there's a restaurant at the Days Inn, it could be the Ryan Days Inn. All right. So last life thing is that uh, thanks to you guys for listening to Buckeye Talk. Um, I wish we just were at a point where um, we could have a Buckeye Talk without me. We've had that in the past. I remember when Ari and uh, and Landis did it on their own and I was driving across uh, the great plains of this nation in Wyoming listening to uh, Ari and Bill do Buckeye Talk. And I think they were talking on Buckeye Talk about me listening to it and uh, wondering if I was going to yell at them about it. Uh, and maybe I did. And if I ever yell, again, the people I was a jerk to, if I was ever a jerk to anybody part of this podcast, I apologize for that because, you know, that's not really what I should be doing. Um, if you're not part of the Cleveland.com team, then, uh, you know, all bets are off. So we're not there. Um, so what we're going to do is take a break. We appreciate you guys listening. We will be back on June 26th. The plan is to be back with Phil Steele. And I need a break. You probably need a break from me. We're just going to reset everything. And then we're going to be at Big Ten Media Days in like three weeks. And that's going to be the start of really thinking about this season. So we'll dig in on the roster. We'll dig in on the Big Ten schedule. We'll dig in on Ryan Day. There's a million things going on with this team. It's going to be interesting. I just want you guys to be prepared for what could be out there because uh, um, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right for you guys, for anybody, um, to love this program and love this team. And if there's a slight wobble, um, to have that ruin your life because everybody wobbles. I don't think it's. I don't think the bike's gonna fall over. I don't think it was gonna fall off and break their arm. Um, but you might wobble. Might fall in the grass, skin a knee, um, and that happens sometimes. So anyway, my final thought is um, I will miss you guys, but I won't miss you too much because I'm gonna be in Disney World. So thanks for listening to Buckeye Talk. We'll be back on June 26th. For now, I'm Doug Maurice. That was a weird one. That was weird. Did you get to the end? Did you get there? All the way, my daughter's in the background here in the hotel room at midnight thinking, why is my father doing this? We watched The Bachelorette, went to colleges, looked at colleges, watched The Bachelorette, watched the new Whammy show with tears in our eyes. Oh, very emotional. Those stinking whammies trying to ruin people's lives. Um, and then we did a podcast. So thanks for listening. And that was Buckeye Talk.